Edinburgh Napier Radio. Driving your academic development. Bringing staff and ideas together. Supporting our academic community. Brought to you by the Teaching Fellow Community. The School of Arts and Creative Industries. And the Professional Development Team. Hi and welcome to episode 2 of the Edinburgh Napier Radio Show. I'm your host Colin Gray and we've got lots of great tips, information and interviews for you in this episode. It's a bit of a conference theme this time around, kicking off with a feature on our own staff conference that took place in January and the themes that it covered. Then we have a feature aimed at helping staff thinking about presenting at a conference. Uh, I interviewed Christine Penman before and after she delivered a paper just before Christmas and she gives us her insights into how to go about it. Then lastly, I talked to one of our LT award winners about the project that won him or her the Best Classroom Experience Trophy. Listen on to find out who that might be and what that project involved. But hey, I'm getting carried away. First up, as usual, we have the news. Edinburgh Napier University. This is Edinburgh Napier Radio News. So in news for this show, we have the WebCT Replacement Project. That is um, the next sort of big thing for professional development for our team. We're going to be looking at, um, Stephen in particular is looking at uh, getting rid of WebCT and moving on to a new system that's going to be better supported um, because WebCT has been discontinued. Uh, so here I've got Stephen to uh, tell you about where that project is sitting right now and what the schedule is at the moment. So the first thing that's happened is uh, a project board has been set up um, with uh, representatives from the faculties and from the professional services and we're currently in a selection phase of the project. Uh, What we've done is uh, pulled together a document that details uh, very clearly uh, the requirements uh, that the university is looking for from a new system. Now these requirements were gathered from the staff and student feedback from the MLE evaluation back in 2009 and also from staff feedback from a survey conducted in November of 2010. So this uh, document then will be issued uh, very shortly to potential suppliers and product partners and they will then respond detailing how their system uh, will meet these uh, requirements. So the selection of a new system is going to be based on a number of factors. Uh, The functionality to support our educational and administrative needs. Uh, The resource and skill set implications for supporting that system within the institution. Um, The resources required to migrate the content that's currently held within WebCT. And to make optimum use of university funds. So the next stages uh, will be uh, to tabulate the responses to the, um, from the product partners and suppliers and present that to the project board. We'll also be conducting some site visits uh, to institutions that have chosen certain uh, systems to get an understanding of how they reached that decision. And it is likely that uh, um, a selection of uh, products will and pl- uh, suppliers and um, partners will come in and do some demonstrations. So that's the stage that we're at. We're still selecting. We're hopeful that a decision on a new system will be made around about the Easter time. So in terms of implementing the new system, it's likely that we'll look to run a small pilot in trimester one 
um, of the next academic session so that we'll have the new system running in parallel uh, with WebCT. Edinburgh Napier University. Yeah, thanks for that, Stephen. Uh, next we have, uh, and lastly, uh, we have um, our own staff conference. Here's Fiona to tell you a little bit about what's coming up in June. The next staff conference, and that's going to be an academic development teaching fellows staff conference, is going to be held on the 17th of June, and that's going to focus on feedback for learning. So that will that conference will be supporting the university's feedback for learning campaign. It's early days for the conference planning, but we do already have a number of inputs um, arranged for this. We're really pleased that Professor Sally Brown, who's pro-VC at Leeds Metropolitan University, will be giving a keynote, and also that there'll be a workshop from Phil Race. He's the author of Engaging with Feedback in Higher Education, which was published last year. And, of course, we're really looking forward to hearing about um, our own staff's innovations with feedback um, through uh, learning from experience sessions and posters that are planned. And to go back to the Feedback for Learning campaign, the project sponsor and the project leader, so that's John Duffield and uh, Sandra Cairncross, will be contributing to the conference as well. At the conference, awards will also be presented by John Duffield for staff who have entered examples or case studies about their feedback practice into the LTA Resource Bank. And based on those entries, there will be a number of awards um, offered relating to feedback. So the deadline for entries is the 15th of April. Edinburgh Napier University. Okay, and that's it for the news. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope that's given you a bit of information about what's going on around the university just now. And uh, time for the next section. Bringing you the latest news and views from conferences. The Academic Development Staff Conference ran in January. It was on the subject of learning, teaching and assessment at Edinburgh Napier University, celebrating our practice. It was a really good event, uh, all in all. It uh, got some really good numbers. We had over 100 people there uh, and some really interesting sessions, um, which all got um, some excellent feedback. So I think it went very well. Um, I'm not going to talk about it too much, though, because we had um, a, a professional doing that for us. Uh, our visiting professor, Mick Healy, did a sum up at the end of the day. Um, and he did a great job of pulling out the key points that ran through, um, through each of the sessions. So here's Mick summing up the feeling of the day and telling us a little about his background in the same area. I think it's been a great day. Um, uh, uh, There's been a mixture of talks, there's been opportunities to uh, discuss in small groups and in, and in pairs, um, and the best bet has been kept at the very end of the celebration. I, I always like celebrations. Now the main theme of course has been the learning, teaching, assessment uh, strategy and your way of doing it. And this is very much an innovative uh, attempt uh, to develop a strategy, uh, and uh, I quote from it, to be active, flexible and dynamic. It's actually very interesting because in my previous job at the University of Gloucestershire, uh, twice I was involved in actually um, leading on the development of the, the learning teaching assessment strategy at that university. So it's interesting to see another uh, institution uh, uh, struggling with uh, uh, some of those ideas. And also, as I refer to in my actual research project, I'm actually very interested in uh, bringing about change in teaching and learning. And that's actually what you're trying to do with this strategy. So those two uh, interests actually come uh, very nicely uh, together. In the morning of the conference, everyone took part in a discussion activity called What the Key Statements Mean for Us? Stories, about, uh, stories from Practice. 
It was a chance to put a bit of personality behind the key statements by encouraging people to discuss how their own experience illustrates the ideas behind them. And the output of this was um, some large flip chart sheets which um, demonstrated the outcomes from each of the little discussions. And Mick drew out a few of the common threads that came from these, uh, these outputs. First one, it depends on the context. It depends. Uh, I think that's actually very uh, astute of you because context is all important. Um, I remember Graham Gibbs at the, uh, this year's uh, International Society for Scholarship Teaching Learning Conference, he gave a keynote, and his theme was very much about, from all his experience, uh, it was context which was all important. And he was actually trying not to make too broad generalisations about what works and what doesn't. The things which work in one context don't necessarily transfer uh, to another. And secondly, um, the uh, other one I've really picked up, a theme which is dear to my heart, uh, and it's nicely linked, is innovation being linked to risk. So as this poster says, if you're innovating, sometimes it's not going to work. Um, if you play it safe, um, it's going to be boring, you're not going to really move on, you're not going to go forward. So we need to get a, an environment, a culture, which actually supports innovation and allows failure when it occurs. You, you provide scaffolding and then all the rest of it. But not just for staff, it's also for students. We've got to help our students to cope with uncertainty. Uh, Ron Barnett talks about super complexity. Rather than have I got it right, and a lot of our students are, are, are like that, so they want to you know, get the right answer, you know, that. But actually that process and allowing them to fail and reflect on it and learn from that uh, is uh, so important. Um, and thirdly, and it relates very much to that, is a theme which did come through um, in quite a few of the uh, comments, was that the tension between some of our QA processes and our wish to innovate. Um, but some of our QA processes, I think, uh, there are good reasons for them, but I think in the sense that they've almost got to, you know, too far, that the, you, know, you need to actually uh, you know, say what every learning outcome is you know, six months, nine months before you even run the course. And then actually, if you want to deal with uncertainty, what are your outcomes? You don't know what the outcome's going to be. And I think the wonderful thing happened. You had huge amount of snowfall before Christmas. It, exam season, and within a couple of weeks, you would change your assessment procedures. Not a year, 18 months down the line, <laughs> but within a week. I hope that that will actually change significantly what, how you assess here you know, in next year. And you don't go back and say it's going to take another year, 18 months before we can change it. So that was where we've been, according to our speaker. Next, he went on to where we are going, tying together a lot of the ideas that have been floating around the conference about where the new innovative LTA strategy might take us. Three points under moving forward. Um, we have a great session here uh, from Heron uh, talking uh, about action research. Um, uh, and it's about encouraging staff to engage in action research. And my main reflection, I, I shared this with Karen at the end, was what a wonderful opportunity. Heron should now be doing a piece of action research on the development and implementation of the learning and teaching assessment strategy. Okay. It's so obvious, it closes the circle. Um, second one, and only two on this one, um, came across, uh, I think, a fascinating exercise, which I, um, I would encourage you to do, um, and that's involve students as change agents. There's a wonderful project, if you haven't come across at Exeter University, go on the QA website, there's a, re a reporter, a short one, uh, about how they've got students there who've been supported centrally with a, a grant to do a piece of effectively scholarship and teaching and learning uh, in their department. They investigate something interesting about teaching and learning which concerns them as students. They get a mentor from a, a postgraduate. Um, they, uh, get, uh, they've had a couple of conferences where they actually presented those results. And they have made major changes to Exeter uh, um, University as a result of it. The students can actually be very active and important uh, change agents. 
the learning <coughs> teaching assessment strategy, you've got the three levels, the statements, the responses, <coughs> and the resource plan. Just comment on, on each of those very quickly. Um, I think you've got some great statements about learning, teaching, uh, and assessment there. Um, but they're a little bit inward-looking. It only looks about learning, teaching, assessment strategy. And I think you've, in a sense, just missed an opportunity uh, to look at what the linkages are between learning, teaching, assessment, and research, knowledge transfer, public engagement, the other activities that you get involved in. Um, treat us as a whole, you know, remember the start, because we, we have a number of different activities we go at. Look at the synergies. So I hope the next round you go, and it may be a few years now when you come to the statement level, you'll have a statement about developing the synergies you know, between those uh, as a way forward. On responses, um, great, great as factual statements of, of, of what's happening, of what you're actually uh, good at doing. <coughs> I think forward-looking, I'd hope the next round of these can be perhaps a little bit more reflective um, and actually look forward, how they're going to change. And actually statements about how you're going to be even better um, and an action plan possibly to do it. So they move forward. At the moment, the ones up there tend to be what we're already good at. Uh, moving forward would be uh, a great way. The Resource Bank, wonderful that you've got such a, a great set of resources. Really, congratulations to you, particularly to Karen, for getting so many resources in, in such uh, a short uh, time. I, I think the challenge of you is actually now to find ways of encouraging staff to actually use those resources, and particularly to come up with ways they will adapt uh, and apply those excellent ideas elsewhere in their, their context. And that's going to be a, a challenge. That was our visiting professor's sum-up of the conference. Hopefully it gave you uh, a picture of the kinds of discussions and, uh, and engagements that went on there, um, if you didn't manage to make it. Our conference website, though, still has all of the conference information online, so you can always go and have a look at that. Uh, and that includes the um, Learning from Experience presentations. So if you're interested, um, you can go and have a look at the, uh, the PowerPoints that are on there. Just head over to the Professional Development website uh, to have a look. Edinburgh Napier Radio, supporting our academic community. Something that's often a, a difficult and a slightly scary step for an early career academic is the process of presenting at a conference for the first time. The process of answering the call for contributions and getting your paper in for publication can be, can be pretty intimidating and the day you actually present in front of a group of your academic peers can be really stressful. But we're lucky enough on this show to have someone who's just gone through that whole process um, and she's willing to give us an honest account of how it went and, and where the pitfalls lie. Uh, Christine Penman is a lecturer in the School of Marketing, Tourism and Languages and last year she decided to present some of her new research with the aim of having it eventually published. So I asked Christine to give us a lot of information about the conference and the paper she was presenting. Well, I'm going to present a paper at a conference in Leeds at the beginning of December and the title of the conference is Travelling Languages Culture, Communication and Translation in a Mobile World. So it's a um, conference organized by an organization called ILEC, which is um, an association for, um, which looks into in intercultural studies. The title of my paper is um, Figuring Home, the Role of Goods in the Transnational Experience. It's looking at what people who live abroad carry with them from home when they travel to their destination. And we have got um, quantitative data based on a, a group of students uh, from this university. I was pretty conscious that many academics new to conferences might not be familiar with the, the application and the review process. So I asked Christine how it worked for this event. She also added a quick insight at the end about what happens afterwards and what she was thinking in terms of publication. 
It's not one of these conferences where you have to have a paper ready beforehand and um, refereed beforehand. I submitted an abstract which was accepted after a few months. It took them, it took the conference organizers a few months to select uh, the abstract. It's actually quite a large conference because it's uh, run over, th over three days. Um, so I put together the abstract on the basis of um, a large literature review had done and it was accepted. And uh, I, I will, we will have written the paper prior to the conference, of course, and then, uh, depending on the reception at the conference, we will, and on the proposal as well from the conference organizers, uh, we will either uh, seek to seek publication in proceedings from this conference, or in a book, I think there's a book, which is an edited collection which will come out of this, or we might decide to publish it somewhere else, uh, in particular in a marketing-oriented journal. I knew that at this stage in the process there are always some parts that are trickier than others. So I asked Christine what she found was the hardest parts of preparing for the conference. I have um, made a lot of notes on uh, quite a lot of papers and identified, identified emerging areas and I'm now gelling all these comments and notes I've taken um, and putting them together and writing literature review. I'm also writing up the um, research findings um, and this question of making it to an interesting read um, and interesting presentation of course because an article is not quite the same as a, uh, a normal presentation. Yeah, so I am writing it as an article myself and I will subsequently uh, make the presentation from the article. So that was Christine before the conference. She managed to attend it uh, despite almost being trapped in Scotland by the December snow um, and I managed to catch up with her soon afterwards to find out how it went. First I had to ask her the standard question, was she nervous? I think I would lie if I said that I um, don't find presentation nerve-wracking, I think they are because you are you are among your peers uh, but I think that what is worth bearing in mind is that at the end of the day, you know more about that particular area than many of the people who are there, or you you have explored maybe this topic in a different way. So I think that, in my experience, that academics tend to um, also be respectful of other people's um, effort to to explore certain areas or to to challenge some some ideas. So hopefully you're not in with an audience who is going to be antagonistic. But uh, not is, yeah, I've not, never seen it happen. But yeah. <laughs> they've chosen to come to your session. And uh, in this case, there were several parallel sessions, so they could have very well chosen to go somewhere else. Christine mentioned before the event that one of the most difficult parts of the process was attempting to make it an interesting read and an engaging presentation. I wanted to know if she thought she had succeeded in her quest to interest and delight her audience. Um, I, I think I was, I, you know, I, quite pleased because I, um, from the questions I got at the end of the um, of the presentation, obviously it had engaged people. I think the subject area I can speak to people because it's it's about what the sort of things that people bring back from home when they travel abroad. 
So some people had sort of uh, ideas about that, and I presented a conceptual framework um, drawn from various bodies of um, of literature, and uh, I think that. Uh, People were quite engaged with that. I mean, I, from the conversations I had subsequently as well with people, mm. with different individuals. Great. So I think I think I did manage to 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 a certain extent. To entertain them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and about that audience, probably the most intimidating aspect of presenting is the fear that someone there will ask you something really bad and attempt to shoot you down. I asked Christine how she felt about it at the time. Well, I think there's always a little bit of worry at the back of your mind that somebody's going to ask you something which um, or deflate completely something, a point that you've made. But from what I can see, I mean, from what happened to my session and what I can see, um, you know, when I attended also other sessions, people don't tend to do that. Um, uh, and in fact, the questions can be... Um, first, it's good to have questions. I think that silence is worse than questions. Can s- it shows that people have actually listened to your presentation mm-hmm. and have actually related it to maybe concerns that they have or questions or uh, the research that they're carrying out themselves. Uh, and also sometimes it can help you to elucidate some of the uh, areas that maybe you hadn't quite unpacked or mm-hmm. you know helps you to explore avenues. Or um, so I think that's it's possibly the best part of the presentation. Christine was at the end of the process now, and I was curious what she found took up the most time. What what would she advise our colleagues to make sure they had they planning enough time for? Writing up always takes more time, I think, than you, you you think initially will. But what took a long time, I suppose, was because it's it depends on what sort of paper you're writing. But in this case, for me, it was a brand brand new field. I took a long time, a, a lot of time, to read quite a lot, a lot of journal articles, research, to search them, to find them first, and to read them, and to, to do to take a lot of notes and to um, write down my thoughts on on different points. Uh, that was time consuming, but it was also well worth it, I think, because it's helping me a great deal to piece things together as well. And I think to uh, put the presentation together on a slide uh, for PowerPoint was really useful to sort of uh, crystallise some of the ideas that I had. So thanks, Christine, for agreeing to be our conference guinea pig and for giving us tons of really useful tips and advice in applying and presenting. I hope you all found something useful in there um, and then it might persuade some of you that um, who are just a little nervous about the process to take the plunge and get involved. It's pretty rewarding seeing your work in print and conference presentations are usually a really useful part of that process, offering you really good feedback both uh, during the application process via the peer review and actually during the presentation itself uh, through all the questions that you get asked. So good luck with your applications and we'll see you on the stage pretty soon. Edinburgh Napier Radio, bringing staff and ideas together. So in each episode we have a featured LTA resource. And this time round we've got quite an easy choice because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have our four LTA award winners, or five actually because one was a partnership. Um, So I plan to go through those um, five winners, the four projects, uh, over the next few weeks and uh, let you know uh, what they're all up to and why they won the award. 
Um, so congratulations to uh, Frank Gregg, Mike Parkinson, Barbara Needs and Christine Penman. They were the, uh, the three projects, Mike and Barbara worked together. So together they um, covered three projects, all who won awards at the conference. Um, and all those awards are currently, sorry, all those projects are currently featured in the resource bank. So you can go and have a look at them at any point. As I said, I'll be talking to them all, all over the next few shows. But in this episode, I have the winner of the Best Classroom Experience Award, purely because he was the quickest to get back to me about being on the show. But I'll let our Vice Principal, John Duffield, reveal our award winner, and then let the award winner himself tell us a little bit about the project that uh, won him his prestigious prize. The Best Practice Award for Best Classroom Experience goes to Mark Huxon. The project I entered was called Bookrit, and the idea of this was to deal with those small academic or possibly uh, non-academic logistical room temperature uh, problems that come up in the course of every module, um, and which often we don't get to hear about as academics. So students might think, well, this is, this is too small an issue to bother with as they're sitting in a lecture. But my experience is if those, those issues build up, then they can lead to you know, disengagement and problems down the, the line. So the metaphor is of boot grit, um, small, irritating things, caught in your shoe, which if you don't tip out might lead to academic blisters. It was something that I tried experimentally a couple of years back, and it's a very simple idea. Um, the way I did it originally was simply to have it, it, I'm, it's in the context of a large first year module so there are something like 120 students on this module and what I wanted was very regular feedback from those students about how they thought they were getting on and if there are any boot grit issues anything that they didn't understand anything that they needed me to explain more thoroughly um, so I simply had a box, a cardboard box um, with a picture of a boot on it and students were invited to put very very brief notes at the end of the lecture, a small reflection, anything that's caused problems here, into that box. So it's anonymous, it's very rapid. So I was using that, I was able to tell within 10 minutes at the end of the lecture um, if there have been any significant issues. That, um, and one of the reassuring things about that was that what I didn't have was 120 different issues from each of the lectures. So if something had, if something had come up, then usually the distribution of topics was extremely skewed to one or two topics. So it would be something that I'd failed to explain uh, properly, something that, uh, or sometimes some, uh, some physical aspect, like actually it was really cold at the back of this lecture hall and we, we found it difficult to concentrate because we were shivering. These sorts of things which, uh, you know, you don't necessarily notice otherwise. And which, crucially, that the students probably wouldn't have let me know otherwise, so they wouldn't have bothered to email or come along to, to a formal meeting. Um, and because the topics were really very few, despite the large number of students in the, in the lecture, what that meant was that I could make a very rapid response via WebCT. Um, so the same day I could say, look, this was your boot grit today, this is, a, this is a worked example, or let me try and explain this topic slightly differently. And of course the next week I could also say, last week you said this, uh, this, this is my response to it. So it's really an attempt to try and open up that kind of dialogue with a much larger class of students. It's very simple. I'm not a very technologically minded person, so, uh, and I, I'm also very busy like the rest of us, so I didn't, if it had turned out to be difficult or complicated, then clearly it, it wasn't going to be transferable to 
particularly to large uh, lectures. But it's a very simple idea, and the students obviously enjoyed it because um, I've evaluated it formally and informally afterwards, and it, and it gets very good feedback. Students were just straightforwardly positive about it, so they just find it useful if there's... I mean, the dynamic here is that there are lots of people sitting in our lectures who are perhaps haven't... It's not... Again, coming back to the, the metaphor, it's bucharit, so it's small stuff. So if it's something really serious, then probably many students will, get in, will find out. But if it's just the small stuff, then students on the whole won't stick their hands up during a lecture in front of 150 people... Um, They'll forget about it at the end of the lecture. They might not follow it up. So it's, it's really trying to capture those, those, those small concerns and make sure that we're dealing with them. And it, it's a very time-efficient way of doing it. Edinburgh Napier University. Well, that's us reached the end of the show. Just leaves me to say thanks very much for listening. I hope you found something to whet your educational appetite. And on that note, we'd love to hear from you, the university staff, about what you'd like to hear more about in the future. Just let me know what subjects you're interested in and what you want to hear more about, and I'll make sure it's included in a future episode. Please also drop us a line, uh, a message to say hello, pose a question for educational and learning tech experts here. Um, And you can do any of this by email at my address, which is c.gray at napier.ec.uk, or even better, send me an audio recording so that we can get your voice on the show. If you don't know how to do that, then just get in touch by that email address and uh, I'll help you out with that. So that's all for this week, and see you next time on Academic Development Radio. This this programme was brought to you by the Teaching Fellow Community, the School of Arts and Creative Industries, and Edinburgh Napier's Professional Development Team.